Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We were once a normal family, but thanks to the media, our lives have been interrupted. And we'd like privacy, and I would like to go back to being a normal husband. But I, I can't, because I can't breathe, I can't walk. Uh, people say that's an act. Let me try to stand up. Let me try to stand up. Exactly. Exactly. I am not Nicholas Allen Verdi, and I do not know how to make this clear. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs, and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Journalist Jane McSorley sipped a glass of champagne and stared at the man in the oxygen tank who'd invited her to dinner. It was probably the strangest interview she'd ever done in her entire career, but it was also the beginning of a journey that would culminate in the launch of her incredible podcast, I Am Not Nicholas. The man in the three-piece suit and sporting a bow tie was claiming to be an academic called Arthur Knight, who told Jane he'd been wrongly accused of being an American fugitive who'd faked his own death in order to evade the law. But what was the truth? And where would her investigations take her? Today, I'm talking to Jane about this fascinating story of the serial fraudster who courted the media and who wound up in a COVID ward in a Glasgow hospital. She tells me about the charming chameleon with many faces who still believes he can fool the world with a spider's web of lies, deceit and fear. This is Crime World, a podcast from Sunday World. Actually, what I wanted to say to you when I was watching that was, are we looking at when we see him continuing to insist his innocence on that television show? Like there's so much going on there for me. Like, firstly, we're looking at the bare face of narcissism, aren't we? We're looking at somebody who thinks they can trick the world, trick the media. And also want to ask you a little bit about the media's role in it. I mean, You know, look, it's sensational television and everybody's going to want to watch it. But should we be facilitating as a media that kind of an interview? It's a very good question. Um, 
in a way, I think no, but then there's the overriding point really that's coming in that is that you want to hear it from him. You want to hear what mm. he has to say. You know, you want to put it to him, you know, you know, really lay it out for him and basically, you know, you know, say, <laughs> which I did, you know, say that, you know, he's not the man that he's, you know, professing to be, you know, all the time. But I mean, yes, I know you're planning to exactly what he wants. He is a narcissist. He wants he just this is just his dream, you know, in terms of being headline news, being, you know, front and center. But I think, you know, on, you know, on part of the the listener, um, you know, the viewer, the, 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 you know, the public, we want to see him squirm or maybe not even squirm. We just want yeah. to see how he's going to react, you know, whenever he's pushed to the edge. And how does that go down, that interview go down on American TV? Because it's a very different media than what we have here. I suppose it's very much more sensationalized and everything. Will there be people out there who won't be just looking aghast at this man as he goes to stand up wobbles and his his wife tries to hold him upright? Are there people out there, an audience out there that will look at him, feel sympathy and believe him? I don't think so. I mean, I really don't think so. Unless you're no, not completely firmly fixed on this planet, would you would you have sympathy with with that man? I mean, it, it was it was a comical it was a comical interview. I mean, there was no, you know, there, there was no way on this earth was that a genuine, oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm wobbling. I have to, you know, sit yeah. down. I mean, it was all enforced. It was all played to the camera. And it was just, I mean, it was it was priceless. There was absolutely nothing like it. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it was it was it was some sight. And then added to that is what he's saying, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, top, top viewing, top listening. So, Jane, you have an insight into this man beyond anybody else. You've been working for a long time. Your your podcast, I Am Not Nicholas, is up there, top of the charts in many jurisdictions, not just our own. Um, you must have a little bit of a sense of what's going on, what makes him do what he does, what makes him continue to lie. But before we come on to that, just bring me back to this story, how it emerged and how you came upon it? I came upon it quite simply by looking at the news online. So every morning without fail, when I'm at home in Edinburgh, you know, I sit down, you know, when kids are out, out, out to school, I sit down, peace and quiet, have my cup of tea, have my breakfast. And I just look at the news online. It's quick. It's easy, you know. So I always look at the, you know, and it's always BBC News website. Anyway, I look I look at the UK website, BBC News. I look at Northern Ireland because that's where I'm from. And I always clearly look at Scotland because that's where I'm living. And it was, the headline was, US man who faked death found alive in Glasgow. An extraordinary headline. Well, absolutely. And it was a wee bit further down the news webpage, you know, so it certainly wasn't, you know, a top story. And it was like, good God, you know, it was just like, <laughs> so I clicked onto it. And it was just, you know, asking more questions than I answered. But when I saw this article, it was January 22. And, you know, it, it talked about how this this man who um, said he was um, an, an Irish man called Arthur Knight was actually arrested in the COVID ward in the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital in Glasgow in December 2021. 
Um, so he was denying that he was this American fugitive who was wanted for very serious charges in 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 Utah. And, um, you know, all along, he kept on saying that he was this, you know, this random Irish man called Arthur Knight that was caught up in this absolutely terrible case of my mistaken identity. I mean, it was it was it was an unbelievable story. And that was only the start of it for me. You know, I thought I am working on this. You know, it was very fortuitous in many ways. Being freelance, you know, I'm sort of, you know, work can be very full on or else I'm sort of looking around for stories. It was at the time in January 22. And, you know, whenever you're sort of getting your head around, you know, what's what the year is ahead. And, you know, it was the 15th of January and I remember it clearly. And I thought, this is it. This is the next story I'm going to be working on. And I threw myself into it. I I didn't know who was going to take it. I knew it would make a gift of a podcast. And I just got out there with my my Zoom H6 and my phone as well, you know, and record and basically hit the ground running, not being paid, not having anything commissioned. And I thought this is happening. This is going to happen. And it did. A few weeks later, it was commissioned. And like this story going backwards and going forwards was fascinating. Sometimes you'll come upon a story and, and it's all in the past, but this one was going in both directions for you. So let's start by going back. Now, when he's in the he's admitted to the hospital in Glasgow with COVID, um, he is actually uh, believed to be this fugitive who's wanted for serious charges, two rapes and one sexual assault in Utah. But clearly when he was there with his COVID and he was hooked up to all the machines and it was touch and go. Somebody knew about him. Somebody was watching him. It wasn't as if they all of a sudden realised or, or somebody spotted him or whatever. So just take us through that. Obviously, the, the US authorities who wanted him had somehow tracked him down to Scotland at this point. So basically how it happened is um, he was tracked down by we believe his internet storage account that he was remarkably still using, really, you know, if he wanted to hide. And um, they were able to track him down to Glasgow and they turned up on his doorstep of where he lived in the Woodlands area of Glasgow in September 21. And um, it was the police with Interpol. And they were basically looking to will arrest him. Now, at this stage, he had been he was already admitted. So he he was already in the hospital. So they spoke to his wife, Miranda, and then they then knew where to get him. And they went into the hospital and and, you know, obviously, you know, made all the connections, asked staff to identify him, you know, looked at the various tattoos and, you know, compared photographs and, and took fingerprints. And they realized, you know, they had their man. And I mean, granted, he was really very, very sick. He was in and out of a coma. He was in and out of intensive care. But, you know, whenever he was well enough, which took a number of months, whenever he was well enough, um, they they arrested him. And that was in December 2021 in his hospital bed. Now, he'd already uh, uh, well, certainly claimed to have been terribly ill before he was struck down with COVID because in December 2019, this individual now, I'm a bit confused here. So there's Nicholas Rossi and then there's Nicholas Alaverdian. So which one is he? So he's both actually. So he was born Nicholas Alaverdian. Um, that was his name of his, his father. His father, his mother then remarried 
And he decided for some reason then to take the name of his of, you know, his stepfather. And that was Rossi. So but I mean, it, it worked well for him because sometimes he was Nicholas Aliverdian, sometimes he was Nicholas Rossi. So it was interchangeable. But, you know, he, he was one and the same man. OK, so back in December 2019, this Nicholas Aliverdian stroke Rossi had uh, claimed that he'd been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Now, this was in, in uh, Rhode Island and that he would weeks to live. And it was announced in the February of 2020 that he died. Um, and I think his then wife was sort of agitating to have obituaries written about him in the newspaper. Um, he was sort of being portrayed as a lifelong supporter of children in care, somebody who'd worked in the political sphere. Um, so, so just tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> Because it it gets complex, but in a way, it's it's a uh, it's simple when we realise that the same man is all these names that we're going to be using. Yeah, I mean, he he realised that time was not on the side that the law was catching up with him. Um, he was on the sex offenders registry, um, for a sexual assault, um, on a woman in Ohio in two thousand and eight, and um, then there were you know he knew that there. <laughs> There were other things that he was behind and he he knew fine rightly that, you know, he was his his days were numbered. So he planned it. He mm. planned it well. He basically thought the way to evade justice, the way to basically have his freedom for the rest of his life was to fake his death. So he, you know, then, you know, he was quite he was well known in, in local politics and in, in Rhode Island. Um, he was an advocate for the um, child welfare service. He, you know, he was a page in the in the state house whenever he was a you know a young teen. I mean, he was, you know, he 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 was known. He was known amongst the local politicians, amongst the journalists. Um, so he would, went then on a mission to evade justice, to avoid you know paying for his crimes. He decided then, well, this is it. I'm going to die. So you know. The next thing is there was all these announcements. He got on the local radio, spoke to his journalist contacts and basically told them that he, you know, he had weeks to live. And at which point we now know he disappeared along with the, the lady who was with him, his then wife or not, we'll come to that, uh, and made his way to Glasgow where they began living there secretly. But prior to this moment that he decides he needs to disappear, that his past is coming up, you know, coming back to haunt him. In Rhode Island, is he a kind of a, a revered individual involved in local politics? And if so, where had he come from that he was able to kind of, had he previously escaped from his past to there? He, he was revered. Um, basically, his backstory was, um, I mean, he was from, you know, he was quite a dysfunctional, dysfunctional upbringing, dysfunctional family. Um, you know, he was basically in um, foster care homes from um, and from an early age, I think it was like 12, 13. And it was there in these foster care homes um, that he said that he was physically and sexually abused and time and time again in various care homes. And, you know, then he decided whenever he was off an age to take it upon himself to try and, you know, I mean, he waved his anonymity, he turned around and he said this is what had happened to him. And he made it his mission to try and bring in reforms in the child welfare, child welfare service that, 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 that these sort of things 
couldn't happen and wouldn't be allowed to happen and they wouldn't get away with it. So, you know, and, and he was he's most you know, he's a most articulate man. He was then. I mean, he you know, he, he he's very engaging, very compelling. You know, he he you know, he had them in his in their hands. You know, he was you know, I mean, there's this archive of him, you know, speaking on local TV and local radio, you know, and he and he, you know, he sounds like a politician, you know, he 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 knew what he was about. And he had this aim that he was, you know, going to reform the child welfare service in, in, in Rhode Island. So, you know, he was coming from, you know, a position where, you know, you know, a, a strong position. I mean, you know, he did have he did have many admirers, you know, in the state house. And when he did supposedly die in inverted commas, I mean, there was proclamations in the state house forum. And, you know, he was it wasn't just, um, you know, he he made it his business to try and make changes. And 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 probably for a very good reason. I, I actually don't doubt that he was abused. But then you hear stories that he was behind a lot of abuse, too. So you don't know what to believe. But um, yeah, but when he saw the writing was on the wall for him, he was ambitious anyway. Yes, absolutely. He was ambitious. I mean, he and he loved the news attention. He loved it. I mean, he absolutely craved it. And I mean, this is just this is how it became then from, from you know, when, I mean, what his downfall was is he just didn't die. Do you know what I mean? If he died and that was it. But, you know, they wanted obituaries. They wanted a, you know, an absolutely massive memorial service in the in the in the in the church just outside Providence. You know, they were, you know, his his you know, wife, his grieving wife, Louise, was on to the Boston Globe journalist, you know, that 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 Nicholas knew. I mean, it was just he didn't go quietly. So the narcissist in him, the, the attention loving man that he was, it was just like dying wasn't enough. Yeah. He just wanted then everybody to talk about what a great man he was after his death. But I mean, that was, I think, one of his downfalls. He should have just supposedly died and, and that was it. But he couldn't. He just couldn't. He should have slipped off and reinvented himself in Glasgow instead. Uh, Absolutely. But they do they do end up in Glasgow. And let's just bring ourselves back forward to where, where we started there. You're you're sitting at home. It's January. You're looking at this news story. You're wondering where your year is going to go. And you go, bingo, this one's for me. So he eventually is released from hospital. Now, he's claiming at this point that there's no way he's this fugitive, that he's uh, actually an academic, that he's he's from Irish origin. He doesn't know what kind of has happened. So you rattle up and knock on the door to see what he has to say for himself. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. You get invited to dinner. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. It was just like this was a dream, you know, in terms of this is the man I want to to un- uncover, to peel back the layers. And, you know, th- this is what it, who everybody's talking about. This is my story. And, you know, he is he and his wife asked me around for dinner. You're like, good God. You know, in all my 30 plus years of being a journalist, a contributor and at the, at the you know, at the, at the outset or even further down the line, clearly, has never asked me around for dinner. It was like, this is it. I'm in. I'm in. So, you know, I... I turned up. I was I was excited. I was very nervous. Um, I did have um, backup secure a security man um, watching my back, really, um, because I did not know what I was going into. I was I was 99 percent sure he was this rapist, this very violent man and who was, you know, on the sex offenders registry. 
Um, and, you know, and I just thought, OK, well, I need some, you know, reassurances that God forbid anything happens to me inside there. I didn't really know if the wife was going to be there or she was going to pop out and get milk or something. So, you know, we had a we had, you know, we had all the sort of um, all the things in place just in case it, it, it went wrong. It didn't go wrong. It was um, it was just the most surreal four or four and a half hours. I've I've really ever had with, with a with a contributor and I couldn't get away. I turned up at seven p.m. and you know it was it was half eleven and I mean you know he said to stay on and I'm like good God. <laughs> at this stage you know I thought he I, I, he was in a wheelchair he had an oxygen mask he, he you know he, he's he was not well at all with COVID and I thought I have a duty of care to this man I can't sort of outstay my welcome and I felt I had but every time I tried to get up to leave to sort of end it he he, he wouldn't let me he loved it. So, so how how normal was it behind the closed doors of their house? And of course, so he was claiming to be Arthur Knight, and she was his wife Miranda. He was a, a an academic who'd grown up in Ireland, and uh, he was a he was a he was an abandoned child or something in Ireland, wasn't this the story? He'd grown up in an orphanage. Yes. Um, so, what was their house like? What was their place like? Was it normal? And what did you bring? And what did they give you? Well, it was a flat. It was um quite small. It was in a it's in a very nice area of Glasgow Woodland. It's um a lot of students are around there because it's very near the university. It's sort of um, quite like a student flat, really. I mean, it wasn't that nice. It's very very small, um and it was amazing the lack of you know sort of family photos. You know there was pictures of Winston Churchill and you know there was I mean it was just it was just like it was dressed. It was like a dress set. There was the catechism. There were crosses up on the wall. There was bottles of holy water. There was the Bible. There was you know the works of. Shakespeare I mean literally it was it was you know a big leather armchair that practically took up the size the whole size of the living room you know um and there was one photograph one photograph you know in, in a in a home that you go into you know you, you, you usually see more than one photograph and it was um it was one it was a photograph of their their wedding day um in in Bristol when they got married in February 2020 and 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 that was it. So, I mean, so the dinner was being prepared and by Miranda in the sort of wee sort of um, kitchen, just you know, off the living room type of thing. And it was like it was champagne chicken, and um, and they served me champagne. They you know they turned and they said, "Would you like a glass of champagne?" And I'm like, "Good God!" I mean, and it was it wasn't prosecco, it wasn't cava. It was champagne. And I thought, what is this all about? And she said, this is the champagne we had, you know, we were serving at our wedding. And I said, wow, you know, and I just thought, why? What are we celebrating here? Maybe a wee glass of wine. But, you know, even at that, you know, I was there for work. But so, I mean, I took like, you know, half a glass of champagne because I think it would have been rude if I hadn't because they were really pushing it. And we all sat there with our glasses of champagne and toasted. And you're like, what is this? So, um, and yeah, then she it came was... out with the champagne chicken. And then the champagne chicken. And because the... the What's the... the champagne chicken? Oh, God. Well, I've never had champagne chicken in my life, but it was it was, it was was pretty nice um, along with my glass of champagne. So, um, and and I was, you know, the room, the living room the, the, with the kitchen just on, basically almost in the living room. I mean, there was no space for a table of any sort. So um, we all sat there with our dinner on, on a tray on our lap. How weird. And what was their kind of like, 
relationship with one another? Like, was she sort of, uh, you know, could you see that he was the domineering one? Was she passive? Was she waiting to be spoken to? Or how did she behave? Um, it was like, it was like the loving, loyal wife, you know, she was like, I mean, he was there, but, you know, obviously incapacitated sitting in his wheelchair can't do a thing I mean can't do anything you know and um which you know, sort of died it then obviously further down the line but she was just serving him you know at basically there you know when it was all I mean I don't doubt for one second that she loves him but it was just you know and I, and it was very clear to see there and then when I was with them that very first evening um I was around there for dinner um, but yeah, you know, he was sort of like, had this wee bit of a superior air. She was serving him and, and, you know, because well, she had to, because I mean, he's sitting there in a wheelchair and he can't do anything, but it was, um, yeah, she was, she was just like a Stepford wife or something. She sounds like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, it sounds to me like, um, you know, hindsight is a great thing and you're looking back on what it was like but uh and it just sounds so creepy almost um you know we're probably used to meeting criminals and people of uh, varying morals but that to me sounds more frightening clearly to be in that weird situation I would feel like could get kidnapped by those strange people but at the time you felt actually that he was quite genuine that he had been wrongly accused of being this fugitive that possibly he was Arthur Knight, who he said he was, and that there'd been a mistake made. I mean, that's quite an incredible thing to convince a cynical journalist. Well, I mean, how it happened was well, I walked in and, you know, he was very engaging. He was very warm, very friendly. He was just, you know, came across as a very decent man, you know, that, you know, wore his heart on his sleeve and was just basically saying how this is completely this, this, this I mean his life was destroyed because of this, this what had happened but you know so I was I was thinking right okay you know he seems a decent guy but he's probably a very good actor and you know and the, what was what it was that's completely flummoxed me and that made me think oh my god I think they may have got the wrong man was well, I actually did think they'd got the wrong man, that the, the authorities had made a terrible mistake because I asked him to pull back his sleeves because he had very distinctive tattoos, certainly on the, the left forearm. It was the whole down, the, all down the left arm, but it was, and on the right arm, it was just on the, the upper arm. So, you know, he's there in his three-piece suit. I mean, he, whether he dressed up for me is, I do not know, his three-piece suit, his bow tie, I mean, he was immaculate with his, you know, freshly pressed, you know, white shirt, you know, with the cufflinks, the whole thing. He was wearing slippers. And it was like, why did he dress up? I mean, what is all this about sitting here? You know, so he, you know, he pulled back his sleeves. He pulled back the jacket. He pulled back the sleeves, you know, and it was slowly, slowly, slowly. It, it was like slow-mo because I thought, oh, my God, he's doing it. Because I turned around, I, you know, when I asked him, I thought he'll say no and this will be the end of it. So he said, OK. So he, he pulled them back just to his elbow and he knew what he was doing, right? So then he got up on his big screen, his big TV screen on his wall, the mug shots of Nicholas Rossi um, from back in 08 where, where they showed his tattooed arms. So he had up on a massive screen on his, in his living room wall um, the pictures, the, you know, the big close-up pictures of the tattooed arms. 
And then in front of him, then he pulled back his sleeves. He knew it, he knew it. You know, we put the big with the pictures on the on the big screen, and there was no tattoos on his left forearm, which is what I, you know, the the left forearm was the one in question. I mean, beyond the elbow, there were tattoos. And I, you know, I was as close to him as I was just with my arm. Do you know, I had my glasses on and there was no tattoos, nothing. And there was no scarring of any tattoo removal, nothing. And I was like, it was just unbelievable and at that stage and you know I kept on looking at the arm and looking at the big screen and looking at the arm and looking at the big screen god knows what my face was like you know at that point you know but I was I was in awe and I just thought I thought this is this is this is a terrible <laughs> terrible case of mistaken identity the authorities have got this wrong because we know that they they can do and I thought this is it this is this poor random, innocent Irish man called Arthur Knight caught up in this absolutely terrible case of mistaken identity. <laughs> when I think about it now. And when you think about it now, you know that, of course, they were courting a number of different media and they were looking for somebody to give their narrative. He was actually looking for somebody who he could totally trick and totally control in the media. And like that's something that, you know, obviously he still believes he can do that. But... Anyway, you know now that he was talking to others. Yeah, I do know, you know, and I mean, I knew it wasn't a big world exclusive. I knew that at the time. And, and you know, you know, I knew that he was speaking to the media in, in, in the US. And that's when I thought, God, I have to get on to this. And I knew that he had been asked um, shortly before I went to meet him um, by um, the BBC reporter um, who's been following this story for BBC Scotland. Um Stephen Gordon, he'd been asked by him to pull back his sleeves in a very lengthy interview that Stephen did with him. And he refused. He refused. So, you know, I thought, why did he refuse? You know, what's all this about? And he actually had pulled back his sleeves for the American networks. But, you know, it was, you know, at that stage, you know, it's on Zoom. You know, he's, you know, he could he could put some sort of makeup on. You know, he mm -hmm. could have put some sort of I don't know, some sort of thing covering it, you know, and it was very grainy picture. And I thought, well, I mean, that's no, that's, you know, so you can't, you know, trust that. And then, you know, he didn't show the his arm, his elbow, his arms to Stephen Gordon at BBC Scotland. And then, you know, and then then he showed them to me. And, you know, he, he must have thought then this is it. I'm in with Jane McSorley. She's making a podcast and this is my way to sort of, you know, prove, you know, my innocence that I am, that I am. <laughs> Arthur Knight. I mean, I left there and I was in total disbelief and I thought whatever the and, and then I thought, well, maybe this this, this this might be even this story. You know, this is this is a case of mistaken identity. And I thought whatever the story is, it's absolutely fascinating. Mm. And the next morning, you know, speaking to my boss and we were just thinking, what is this all about? And we started I then started um communicating very early on at that stage with his one of his ex-wives and she then said she confirmed that as far back as 2015 2016 he was going through the process of removal of his tattoos on his lower arms you know so um but he still had his tattoos on his upper arms which were how they identified him part of the way that they identified him in the hospital and your conversation with her was one of many you had with people in the US who were able to fill you in and give you details about his background. Um, did the case remain 
very high on the news agenda in Scotland or, you know, what was happening with it as time went past? Yeah, no, it was always in and out of the news headlines, just in Scotland, I have to say, um, you know, because he always he always had some sort of, you know, I mean, he always, he just loved the news attention, you know, coming into the into the courtroom, you know, we would, you know, we would, you know, be on com- completely disrespectful to the sheriff, the judge. He, you know, he would he would maybe not turn up or you know the last the last you know he always you know he held a press conference you know you know he just he courted the media he absolutely courted the media and you know and the media I mean yeah I mean we were we were it was a media scrum you know time and time again outside the Edinburgh Sheriff Court you know I mean this was an unbelievable story you know you hear about these things maybe happen in America or whatever but you know the fact that it was, you know, in Scotland, you know, in, you know, you lived in Glasgow, mm-hmm. but all the court hearings were in Edinburgh. And it was just, and that, you know, and it was just the most mysterious story of, you know, of this man, you know, and I mean, it's like things like this just don't happen, you know, that often. And and for them to happen in Scotland when there's not that much going on on this level, you're like, everybody was intrigued. I mean, it was, it was, Completely. it was something else. So it was February 2022 when I think he was first brought to court in Scotland and when the prosecution said that those tattoos really were one of the reasons that he was identified. Um, you, When he was brought, being brought in, he continued to proclaim that he was unwell from COVID and he still had breathing difficulties and all. I think he had an oxygen tank at that time as he was being wheeled into court. You noticed that it had been disconnected. Uh, oh, took your chance to leap forward. Now you were obviously not weren't too pally with them at that stage. I mean, your dinner was a once off, was it? One hit wonder. Well, no. Well, I, I, you know, we had some sort of I don't know for for one for better word relationship, and it was you know I realized that he wasn't the man that he was saying he was, but I mean I didn't want to sort of you know come on the heavy so early on that you know that would be the end of sort of the communication between the two of us, but um. That I remember that well. I mean, there was so many um, court appearances um, he made at the Edinburgh Sheriff Court. And the last time I had seen him was whenever I had a wee bit of a showdown with him um, in his in his flat. Whenever I basically, you know, accused him of being a liar. And, and you know, I had I had spotted something very, very identifiable um, and that he couldn't he couldn't deny and um, basically he 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 became very aggressive and um, I wasn't taking it. And um, so, you know, I left r- rushing out of his flat, actually. Um, that was in April. This was um, two or three months after I first met him. And so the first time I'd seen him after that was outside the sheriff's court. And um, and there wasn't very much press there that day. And um, and I'd spotted that, you know, his oxygen tank had been detached from his mask and he was absolutely having no problem whatsoever. I mean, none. And I just thought, right, I'm going for this. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I thought this is it. You know, he's, you know, this is all a facade, you know, and, and, and I let him know. I said, you know, what's all this about what, needing oxygen? You know, it's completely detached from your mask. Right. <laughs> I mean, listen, all these sort of, um, you know, all these incidents are covered in in great detail and with much intimacy in your podcast. I'm not Nicholas, which is available and audible and which is absolutely flying. And um, 
those who haven't listened to it should tune in. But yeah, it's it's amazing because <clears throat> it's very much as if we're on the journey of discovery with you, which I think is what actually makes really good podcasts. Um, and the, the listener is on that journey with you as you kind of as the penny starts to drop about certain things, as you make these observations and we're there with you as you as you go and, and stick your microphone in his face every now and then. Now, um, I suppose ultimately, without giving away too much of the story, even though it's it's all over the news there now, really, as well, the story has become mainstream national media across the UK and it's it's been in the, the newspapers here, thanks to your podcast. Um, it's still big news in the US where he's they're still waiting for him back. They haven't got him back. He's still fighting this. And there's a big case, uh, sort of, I suppose the case finale is due later this month in, in Edinburgh. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So <clears throat> the week beginning, the 26th of June, that's when his full extradition, extradition hearing will take place. And um, so it's expected that he will try and appeal it. But, um, you know, I, you know, amongst legal circles and, and lawyers I've been talking to, um, he has no grounds. It would uh, absolutely really for appealing it. So, you know, it, 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 I mean, who knows? I mean, it's gone on, you know, long enough as it is. But, you know, if all bodes well and he doesn't have grounds to launch an appeal, um, he could well be um, back in the US in Utah um, come the autumn. And like the US is such a big place and media there is so disjointed because of all the different states and there's very few stories that become actual, you know, national media. Is this one? Yes, it is. It definitely is. I mean, it's just got all the ingredients for a great story. Fake death, mm. multiple aliases, fugitive on the run, you know, um, transatlantic, you know. I mean, it ticks all those boxes, you know, and it's just, you know, it just makes such a nice change from you know, the daily sort of news stories that you get of yeah. politics or social services or, you know, the economy, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a gift of a story, you know, it's, but, but at the heart of it, at the heart of it is a bit of a monster, I have to say. And, um, well, not a bit, I mean, he is. And, you know, at the end of the day, the whole, the overriding thing really is, is justice and um, you know the the, the the you know for want of a better word the, the victims of his you know I mean they they want they want justice I mean he I, and I I truly believe this is it now I I you know the writing is on the wall for him the Scottish authorities can't wait to get rid of that man you know he mm. is you know he's 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 I mean and that's amongst you know legal circles that's in the you know the Scottish prison service where you know where he's in I mean he's 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 you know he's a very difficult prisoner um from what i'm hearing and um you know it's just let's get him back to to the us to face justice and and you know really at the end of the day the the, the victims can 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 move on you know yeah and undoubtedly they've waited a long time for that justice and you know he 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 certainly tried to use the systems um in order to win his freedom i suppose what's emerged is this sort of unbalanced individual um who seeks notoriety constantly and who believes he can convince people he is the ultimate narcissist and you know he's there laid bare isn't he every time he opens his mouth and every time he insists black as white we can see 
really what narcissism is in its true form. Um, I'm just interested in his wife and what your feelings on her is. How much do you think she knows? Um, how long have they been together? And, and what will happen to her? Um, well, without giving too much away, I don't know. Um, so it's hard to know when when they met, you know, the, it's, um, you know, you think they met online, you, you think they might have met, met. I mean, they said that they met and they, they bumped into each other in the Tate. And then another time I heard, you know, it was Nicholas saying that, he, that they met each other in the V&A in London, you know. So anyway, I mean, they did get married. Um, on the 20th of February 2020 um, and this was his third marriage and um, and then you know and well then Nicholas died in a verdict commas he died on the 29th of February 2020 he picked his day didn't he and um, so yep they got married in Bristol then on honeymoon um, or whether they were on honeymoon but nine days after getting married he was he 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 was plotting his his evasion of justice and and um i, I don't know nick uh, nicola how you want to deal with this because it is a massive spoiler um if i say any any more yeah no don't then hold off yeah. and, and okay. let people listen into it um exactly i mean she is just she is an incredibly curious character and i always think women in a lot of these stories are can be almost as interesting really as the the perpetrator of the, the stuff. So maybe if people listen in and we'll we'll leave it at that. Um but look, what a story. Um you're still more than likely following it or have you have you got the typical journalist sort of ennui has set in and you want to move on to the next one? No, no. I mean I'm I'm I'll always I mean it was a story that I, I worked on. I that I seem to be the only journalist either side of the Atlantic that was working on this. Um, you know, from early on as a long, you know, long form journalism as a long term project. There's nothing like it. And I was the only journalist. We were the only people on either side of the Atlantic to get absolutely key evidence <clears throat> that propelled this story really back into the headlines. I mean, on both sides of the Atlantic again. Um, mm. And that comes out in the podcast. So, no, absolutely not ennui. Um, I am going to be there on the 26th of June. I will be there for the full week. And I will be over in Utah if it comes to it. Mm. I will be there. You know, I am. Um, yeah, it's not over yet for me on this story. And listen, isn't podcasting an amazing, incredible way for us to tell our journalism now and it seems to really be hitting the right note with with people who are changing in their ways that they're taking stories and taking media but uh that audio um story seems to be i don't know it just reminds me of my childhood i remember having these records and putting them on when i was sick as a child with stories probably fairy tales and just loving closing my eyes and listening and imagining all these characters of course now you can go online and you can see what he looks like and there's plenty of uh there's plenty of footage of nicholas rossi uh you know arthur knight whoever you want to call him there so you can you can visualize what's going on when you're telling them but i think yourself with your journalism you've certainly brought the, the listener in with you to your own journey of discovery and i hope you'll have some further either series or episodes extras as they call them coming for us 
to uh, to keep us updated on it. So listen, Jane McSorley, thank you so much for joining us. And anybody who hasn't listened to your podcast should tune in today. Thank you, Nicola. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take the Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume the Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume the Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.